On September 18, 2001, American alternative rock band Wilco released their fourth album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. When Reprise Records refused to release the album, Wilco posted it for free on the internet. 200,000 downloads later, and non such records picked up the band and released the album. And so it became critical and commercial gold. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time, as selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Irvin, and today we're looking at number 493 on the list, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by the band Wilco. So this is probably one of the most recent albums uh, on this list. I had listened to this album before. And to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of Wilco and their music. But uh, upon re-listening and watching also the documentary that came with it, which I hadn't done before, it was really interesting to see how this came to be. To sh- and it showed the musicianship of the band, which is really interesting always to see the process of them recording such a masterpiece, as people would call it. I was also very surprised by some of the parallels with other bands like Radiohead, which I had not really noticed before, but really paying attention to some of these songs, I've noticed it immediately. So I can definitely understand why people compare them sometimes. So without getting too much into it, let's look at the artist first. So, Wilco is not a person. It is an American alternative rock band from Chicago, Illinois. And the band was formed in 1994 by former members of the alternative country group called Uncle Tupelo. This band was quite an influential group within the Chicago music scene, as they combined both hardcore punk and classic country music elements into their own sound. The first album of the band, called Noble Depression, became a very notable work in this genre. And because it was nothing like any popular country music at the time. Uncle Tupelo ended up releasing four albums, but never saw that much commercial success, but they got some of a dedicated following. As the band went on, tensions grew within the group. There was a lot of infighting about the musical direction, but also the role of each members within the group. And the singer of that group, Jay Farrar, eventually split from the band to form Son Volt. But meanwhile, the remaining members of Uncle Tupelo, led by Jeff Tweedy, formed Wilco. And Tweedy was joined at the time by the bass player, John Stirat, the drummer, Ken Coomer, and the multi-instrumentalist, Max Johnston. And according to Jeff Tweedy, the name Wilco comes from a aviation radio voice abbreviation, which is Will Comply. And this is something that he found quite ironic for a rock band to comply, of course, being a rebellious nature of rock music. Throughout their career, the band has been through multiple lineup changes with Jeff Tweedy and John Stirrett 
being the only consistent members in those lineups. But since 2004, the band has not changed their lineup. Through the years, Wilco has released 11 studio albums and three collaborative albums with British singer Billy Bragg. And in addition to that, they have also released several live albums, EPs, and of course, compilations. The band has received numerous awards and nominations, most notably the Grammy Award for Best Alternative Music Album. Wilco's musical style is often described as alternative rock, alternative country, and indie rock. And the last one is interesting because they've always been signed to major labels for their career, but their style and the way of creating music has been quite unique. Their own music has been influenced by an array of different artists and genre in the earlier years, especially by punk and country music, similar to Uncle Tupelo. But the band themselves referred that music that was created between 1966 and 1974 as their biggest influence. And the band credited the album Paris 1919 by John Keel as a musical parallel to their own. Other artists of the period I mentioned before that influenced them are John Lennon, Neil Young and Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. As I mentioned before in the introduction, the band has also been named the American Radiohead or Radiohead Americana, something along those lines. And this is because their ever-evolving musical style and their use of experimental sounds, something that I can definitely recognize on this week's album. But more on that later. Because before we take a look at today's album, let's look at the releases that came before. Mere weeks after the split of the band Uncle Tupelo, Wilco started rehearsing and recording demos of new songs. The label Reprise Records decided to sign the band, and they went into the studio to record their debut album, AM. And this album followed a similar musical style as their previous band, and the album was released in March of 1995. The album got modest reviews and was often compared to Son Volt, the band of the other singer. The reviews of that album were much better than the ones for AM. This didn't bring the band down though, and they kept touring. But as they kept performing, the audience numbers seemed to be dwindling. And this inspired Tweedy to kind of change up their style and write more introspective and personal songs about his experience of becoming a father and a touring musician and all the changes within the band. This spawned their second album, Being There, from 1996. Besides all these lyrical and introspective changes, it also featured more musical experimentation compared to the previous releases. And this album was received much better by critics. And it also spawned a quite successful college radio hit, out of sight, out of mind. The following year, the band started working on their third album. And around this time, they were approached by British singer-songwriter Billy Bragg. 
who had been asked to record some unreleased songs from folk singer Woody Guthrie. Wilco was hesitant at first because they didn't really want to touch that kind of music. But they eventually decided to collaborate and this ended up being the album Mermaid Avenue. After completing the recordings, there was some tension about the production of the album between the band and Bragg though. But they eventually worked it out and they released it in June of 1998. And this album was also a very big success for both the band and Bragg. And it was nominated for a Grammy Award. So with regained confidence after the success of Mermaid Avenue and being there, Wilco returned back into the studio to finish their third record, Summer Teeth, which was eventually released in 1999. Once again, this album featured more introspective lyrics, and this time also more about Tweedy's marital problems. And probably because of their previous experience, the production on this album was much more involved, being heavily overdubbed compared to their previous releases. The album was received well, but did not manage to sell as many copies as their previous record. And a remixed version of the song Can't Stand It was released in order to promote the album, but also to help out their struggling record label. And this is something interesting that probably is related to something that will happen later on in their career. Now, after the release of Summer Teeth, they once again returned to the Mermaid Avenue sessions and they recorded a few extra songs and that ended up being Mermaid Avenue Volume 2. And the final track on this album, Someday, Some Morning, Some Time, was to Tweedy the piece to the puzzle towards the creation of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. So what was happening around the time the album was released? Well. The album was released on September 18th, 2001, just one week after the September 11 attacks. The time leading up to this event, most countries were experiencing a continuing social liberalization coupled with influence of capitalism, big economic growth. And the 90s were a time of growing individuality and counterculture inspired by the late 60s and early 70s. And third wave feminism also came to rise during this time with more attention to women being in power and people standing up against sexual harassment and violence by people in power. Around this time, the internet also became very much available to a lot of people in the world. And with the upcoming World Wide Web, companies, artists and also bands were able to create their own websites and people could visit them to get more information, news, and even music. And the upcoming turn of the century spread fear among the United States, as some people expected computer systems to fail. And this is also known as the Y2K problem. But luckily nothing massive happened and most systems kept running smoothly. But the awareness of technology and the internet became much more apparent during this time. So what if we look at music at the time and the genre that Wilco kind of belonged to? The early 90s was a time when alternative rock thrived into the mainstream with different kind of subgenres, starting out with bands like R.E.M. 
and of course later with grunge bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. But as the grunge scene kind of faded in a few years time, other types of alternative rock like punk pop and emo became more apparent. And because alternative rock became the mainstream for most of the 90s, it lost its initial countercultural meaning. So, instead of using alternative rock, the term indie rock became synonymous for bands and genres that remained dedicated to independent labels and the counterculture and DIY status that they had. So besides alternative rock, another genre relating to Wilco is folk rock. This term was typically used in the 60s and 70s for bands and artists that used a mix of acoustic and electric instruments. And during this time, bands like The Birds and The Beatles and an art- and artists like Bob Dylan were ones pioneering that. And some artists of course kept making music after this time. But in the 90s, of course, a new generation came into the light often published on indie labels, as folk rock wasn't as popular. Some notable artists, though, during this time were of course Uncle Tupelo, but also the Mountain Goats and Elliot Smith. Before I get started on how this album was recorded, I mentioned it before, but there's this great documentary made by director Sam Jones called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, a film about Wilco. And this documentary follows the band through their creation and eventual distribution of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And most of the highlights I mention here throughout this episode, I got from this documentary. But if you want to see it happen and if you want some more information, maybe hear the band members talk about it, you should definitely check out the documentary. I believe it's on Vimeo and you can either rent or buy it and... Yeah, it's like one and a half hours long, and it's really, really interesting. So, the recording of the album began in early 2000, shortly after the release of their collaboration, Mermaid Avenue Volume 2. The band acquired a new recording space that they dubbed The Loft, or the Wilco Loft. In the process of recording, in the month of May, the singer Jeff Tweedy was invited to perform at Noise Pop Festival in Chicago. And at this festival that's held across the city, he was offered to perform with another artist of his choosing. So he decided to invite producer Jim O'Rourke, who he was a big fan of. O'Rourke accepted this invitation and he also offered the service of drummer Glenn Koch. The trio really enjoyed the collaboration that Tweedy suggested to make an album under the name Loose Fur. So after this side project, by the end of 2000, Wilco returned back into the studio to finish up the tracks they had recorded. But upon re-listening to the recordings, they were kind of unhappy with the songs, especially the drum sounds, which they couldn't really get right the way that they wanted to. So, instead of trying to mix it the right way, Tweedy proposed to bring in Glenn Koch, whom he had collaborated with recently. The band approved, and Koch was eventually recruited into the band, replacing Ken Coomer. So during the recording process, the audio engineering duties were partially taken care of by the guitarist Jay Bennett. 
But because the band was trying to experiment with new sounds and really making something different, he seemed to be having issues getting the right kind of sound. And one of the examples of this is the transition between the tracks Ashes of American Flags and Heavy Metal Drummer. And this situation is also depicted in the documentary where Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett just can't seem to communicate to each other what the actual problem is and what they really want. Unbeknownst to the rest of the band, Tweedy asked Jim O'Rourke, once again someone who he had collaborated with recently, he asked him to mix the opening track of the album. And when he did, Tweedy showed it to the rest of the band. And the band all agreed that this is the sound that they were looking for. And so they recruited Jim O'Rourke to mix the rest of the album and engineer it as well. And of course, this decision led to more tension between the band. And it rendered Jay Bennett's role somewhat obsolete. The album cover is a picture of Marina City Complex Towers in Chicago. But due to the time surrounding the release of the album, the cover was criticized because of its parallels to the World Trade Center that were destroyed during the terrorist attacks. And the album was named after the letters in the phonetic alphabet. And it's more specifically a sequence that Tweedy heard on a compilation of shortwave number station recordings, something that the military used to communicate secret codes. And a sample of this recording can also be heard on the song Poor Places. Musically, the album furthers the expansion of Wilco's sound, not binding themselves to a certain type of genre, but more so experimenting with new sounds. And Jeff Tweedy seemed to continue his interpersonal and self-destructive lyrics. This combined with the psychedelic and lo-fi sound created something new. And if you look at the documentary, it shows that some of the songs started as typical rock songs with electric guitars and heavier drums, but it eventually evolved into something more intimate as the band started to experiment and broaden their horizon and bringing in new members. The songs are quite complex at times, and it is often compared to Radiohead, even going as far as Uncut Magazine describing it as Americana's Kid A, which is a very experimental album that Radiohead had just released a year prior to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Now the album features some loop tracks and samples from various sources, and it also features some orchestrated string arrangements that amplify the moodiness of the album and even though that the album was written and recorded prior to the September 11 attacks there are some lyrics on the album which draw some clear parallels to what happened in those attacks and the aftermath of those which is really interesting and noted upon by a lot of reviewers of course when it came out so let's actually look at some of these songs And in order to do that, you of course got to start off with the opening track. I'm trying to break your heart. And this is the first track that Jim O'Rourke remixed and caught him to job as audio mixer on the album. And this song is about a man, most likely an alcoholic, who feels isolated and alone in a big city 
after a relationship that ended because of his own actions. And this song sets the tone of the album quite well. And the opening sounds that were actually composed by the new drummer Glenn Koch very much remind me of what you would hear on some of Radiohead's records. track I'd like to talk about is Jesus etc. And this song juxtaposes the opening track with seemingly more optimism, even though the lyrics might tell you something different sometimes. This song is about someone trying to find meaning in it all, but eventually figures out that the love between the two is all that's sure and all that's worth. And even though this song was also written prior to the 9-11 attacks, it has some eerie echoes and imagery that are reminiscent of the time. Especially the chorus. Tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad sad songs. Tune to chords, strung down your cheeks, bitter melodies, turning your This song has become a fan favorite, and it is a mainstay in Wilco's live sets. The following track on the album is Ashes of American Flags. And this song once again has some parallels to the 9-11 attacks, or more so the aftermath with the war on terror that came afterward. Some of the lyrics on this track are inspired by the novel Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller. And this is a book that singer Jeff Tweedy had carried with him for about eight years during his career. And the music that can be heard on this song is definitely one of my favorites on the whole, al- on the whole album. It's the strings and ambient background sounds add to the very moody atmosphere of the album and the song, but it still remains powerful and not cheesy, especially in this part. I'm down on my hands and knees, every 
shake like a toothache when I hear myself sing. And the transition goes into one of my favorite tracks of the album, Heavy Metal Drummer. And this song is also a staple in Lamilko's live sets, often called as an ultimate crowd pleaser. Jeff Tweedy has described that this song is about, quote, the sweet yearning for an innocence that has passed. And he reflected on this song in an interview with Spin Magazine, quote, that song is really just another reminder about not being judgmental and reductive. There were many nights where me and my friends would go see some punk band and we'd all go to the landing on the Mississippi River. All us punk guys would sit there and scoff and feel superior to all the heavy metal bar bands with the big hair and the spandex, most of whom were having the fucking time of their fucking life. So who was losing? Me. Those guys were getting laid. They were deluding themselves into thinking they were going to be the huge stars. And they were living. And I was dead. Unquote. The catchy verses on this song are of course great. But my favorite part is really the running bass line that's especially noticeable by the end of the song. I keep mentioning the release date of September 18th of 2001, but this is not the only official release date. In fact, there's a big story behind the release of this album. Because while Wilco was recording Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, they were signed under the label Reprise Records, which is a daughter organization of Warner Brothers. And in 2001, this company went through a big reorganization and fired a lot of people within the corporation, including Reprise Records president, Howie Klein, who was a big supporter of Wilco. And just a couple days after his firing, without the band knowing, they had handed in their record for release. But the band didn't hear anything back, and after a few weeks, they were giving an ultimatum. They would either change the album, or they would get dropped from the label because they did not see future for the record. Now, the band did not want to change the record because they were finally happy with the sound of it. So the band decided to leave the label. And this situation became a big deal in the music press because they had always been quite positively about the band. And with all this attention, the record label eventually decided that Wilco could have the rights to the recordings and release it independently 
Now, this of course created a very interesting situation. In a documentary, a writer for Rolling Stone magazine, David Frick, described it very interestingly. The Yankee Hotel Foxtrot has actually turned into a kind of metaphor. It's now a measure of what record companies, or not even so much record companies, but the corporations that own record companies are willing to put up with. In the end, you know, it doesn't really matter who puts the record out. Eventually, either in the near future or in the way far distant future, someone's going to get it. As long as music is available, someone will hear it. Music is not limited to what happens in a business quarter. And, you know, this is a record, okay? This is something that probably someone will buy. They'll pay 15, 16, whatever bucks for it. And that's cool, but, you know, what's encoded somewhere on the bottom of this thing, this dopey little disc, you know, that's what matters. This, the artifact, the actual object is not. What's encoded in here, if it's any good, you know, you'll hear it. And you'll either get it or you won't. So shortly after the band was dropped and the news came that Jay Bennett had left the band because his role was obsolete in the band, MP3s of some tracks started appearing online. And the initial release of the album was supposed to be September 11th. But because of the struggle with the record company, it was delayed. But to not delay it for too long, and to combat the illegal downloading, the band did something unconventional for the time. Relating back to what David Frick said. It was all about the music, not about the disc. So what did they do? They started streaming their full album on their website for free, starting September 18th, 2001, thus marking the first release of the album. Their website was overflowed with visitors wanting to hear the record. And their following tour was an immense success. And record labels picked up on this, of course. And the band now being independent and the success of their streams made it so that more than 25 labels reached out to the band wanting to sign them. And the band eventually decided to sign with Nonsuch Records which was also part of Warner Brothers, but now they paid much more money than they would initially would have gotten under Reprise. With a new record deal, they also decided to re-release the album for retail. And this one was released on April 23rd, 2002, marking the second release date of the album. Now, even though it was downloaded for free so much before, the retail release was very much of a commercial success as the album peaked at number 13 on the US Billboard 200 charts. And not only was it a commercial success, it was also critically very much acclaimed. And the album got great scores from different magazines and websites, calling it a masterpiece. And it was praised for its experimentation, complexity and incorporation of psychedelic kind of elements. And all music Zach Johnson wrote the following, quote, the long-anticipated Yankee Hotel Foxtrot continues their genre-jumping and worthwhile experimentation. The true high points of the album are when the songwriting is at its most introspective, 
which takes on an eerie poignancy in the wake of the attacks at the World Trade Center. As is the case with many great artists, the evolution of the band can push the music into places that many listeners, and record companies for that matter, may not be comfortable with. But in the case of Wilco, their growth has steadily led them into a more progressive territory. End quote. So Wilco toured extensively after the release of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and in 2004, the band went back into the studio for their follow-up, A Ghost Is Born. With the recording of this album, the lineup changed once again, but it remained the same ever since. Ghost Is Born earned the band a Grammy Award for Best Alternative Album, and it established Wilco even more as a modern classic. And with all of their releases, even before it was popular and a mainstream thing to do, the band kept streaming their albums for free on their websites. And in 2010, they actually decided to form their own label, DBPM Records. And they have also been involved in organizing their own festivals and concerts all across the world. In 2012, the band also released a collection of the Mermaid Avenue recordings. And this also included some never released songs from these sessions. And those were marked as Mermaid Avenue Volume 3. And this one was also accompanied by a documentary about the making of the project. And I have not seen this one, but if it's as good as the other documentary, you should definitely check it out. Wicklow's music has been tremendously influential on different artists, mostly within the folk genre. And Rolling Stone magazine has called them one of America's most consistently interesting bands and America's foremost rock impressionists. Some of the bands that were influenced by Wilco are The National, Cademan's Call, and Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. And there have also been some artists that have covered some of Wilco's songs, including Nora Jones, who often performs the song Jesus Etc. on tour. Now, of course, the way that the album was released was also very influential on some artists, because it wasn't really something that a lot of bands or artists had done before. So... Many albums followed in this trend, and shortly after the release of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, a kind of evolution in this model came with the pay what you want ideal. And this is of course when a band puts out their record on the website for example, and someone can decide to pay whatever they want, whether it's nothing, whether it's a hundred dollars, whether it's who knows how much, you can decide yourself. And some notable Examples of this are from Jeff Rosenstock's label, quote unquote records, and a very popular one, maybe the most popular one, Radiohead's In Rainbows. And with that, we have come to the end of this week's episode. I'd like to thank you all very, very much for listening to this episode. I'm sorry it was delayed a little bit. I was very busy, but I will try to keep on track again and releasing new episodes on time again and to get updated when that is you can just subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to you can also rate the podcast in apple podcasts and you can also follow me on twitter and instagram at 500 albums pod which is 500 albums pod or you can email me via 500 albums pod at gmail.com 
you can send in any questions, suggestions, and I will look at those on the podcast and answer them here. So, next week we'll be looking at album number 492, which is Touch by Arrhythmics. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.